0: All right, folks, we're back. It is uh, the Mike Pardon part two. Uh, we actually recorded the first one with Mike. I'm just looking at my notes here. It was actually in August in 2018. So uh, just over a, a year. Um, it's been a little bit hard to connect with Mike. He lives in Australia. He's not big on the internet. Uh, but anyway, we're finally connected. And uh, Mike Pardon. Mike, how you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks, Dale. Thanks, uh, thanks for doing doing a part two with us. It's great. Yeah, Appreciate no, definitely.
0: It. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to 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 continue the story. Uh, we posted a, or I posted a, I did a little written Q and A with you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, for anybody, the, uh, anybody wants to check it out, I posted it on uh, ukbmxhistory.com. dot com. Um, there's just so many good pictures of you, Mike, from from the magazines from the. Early to mid '80s, through your you know, you racing and freestyle. So I'm like, Mike, we've got to use some of these pictures up because there's just too many just to do a couple of podcasts with. So anyway, I got some of the good ones that I really liked and uh, posted them with that. And it seems like you've still got a a really good following with the old school guys back in England, which is cool, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, I, some of those pictures you posted, I've I've never seen them as well. So it's great to see, um, to see some of them, you know, some new stuff and. uh, some of the people on on Facebook and stuff when they post stuff, you know, I haven't I haven't seen some of that stuff, so it's it's nice, really. Yeah,
0: I saw uh, Andy Preston during those conversations on on the uh, Facebook. Uh, it seemed like he popped up on Facebook within our little little world, at least, you know. So have you guys reconnected again?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I saw because we we talked about um, we'd heard some some news about Andy, and, and luckily that news wasn't true. 'Cause I've not spoken to Andy for probably twenty years and uh and obviously as you know I went off Facebook for a while and then sort of reappeared on it and um and then did some digging and and a couple of people contacted me and Andy contacted me and sent me some pictures that he had um that I think I forward on forward one onto you or something and um yeah he's he's doing really good. So he's yeah, he's doing obviously he's doing his kiting thing and um he's um yeah, he's done some work for Richard Branson and designing kites for that guy. And wow. So, yeah, he's living large, still riding, still skating and all that kind of stuff. So
0: Yeah, ah, that's super cool. You guys have so much history together. And obviously, like I say, it's documented a lot with the in BMX Weekly, you guys as the trick team. Um, I guess when we did the first podcast, we kind of went through the first... Part of your career, you know, you was involved in BMX in the very early days in the the UK and, you know, sponsorship, racing, you became national number two behind uh, Andy Ruffle, Then you moved into freestyle when that was booming. You know, you won BMX Beat, you was in Kellogg's, you rode for Rally. a really cool, um, yeah, really first few years of your uh, BMX career, even though it was a small time you covered you know it seemed like you covered so much with everything that was in the magazines and stuff um so I, I i guess anybody's really interested in that kind of stuff should go back in the, our archives and uh, check out the Mike pod and part one but we're going to move into part two now so i guess this is where we got to mike was after bmx you know you kind of hung up the the bmx racing uh, helmet or the freestyle helmet as you say and uh moved into uh, skating so i guess do you want to get into that a little bit yeah
1: <coughs> yeah i'll just uh do the rambling delay mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I basically um, I just I just sort of stopped competing really. Um, I didn't stop riding um, for a while. Um, I was still doing demonstrations for um, for Shiner around, and and also started work for Manchester City Manchester City Council. So, me and a friend um, Tim Stam um, used to do stuff for those guys, and actually did some really big demos. Considering it was kind of winding down for me. And we did some big demos in um, in Manchester and the Ardwick Centre and things like this, and um also the Arndale Centre, which was a big shopping place at the time. And but we used to sort of combine it with um, with a bit of skateboarding as well, and and obviously in that time in the UK, like the ramp skateboarding was was kind of re-emerging, and um, so we used to we used to do both, and and. Tim Stam, Dave Arnold, Craig Burrows, people like that, they'd always kinda of done both anyway. And I'd sort of dip my toe in a little bit. Um, and and so it just kinda of metamorphosized into that, into a bit of this and that. And um, I so I, I can't I can't really say I retired. It was just that I wasn't enjoying um, I mean if you read this interview that you've put up, you'll see that I mean I was pretty open about it, I wasn't really enjoying BMX and I was kind of putting myself under a bit of pressure and, um, you know, like, you you know, just obviously these up-and-comers there who, who are going to kick your ass, especially when you're, um, you know, you're doing old-school tricks and things like this. And um, so I, I just started skateboarding and, and, and enjoyed the feeling of skateboarding, enjoyed learning again, sort of being a beginner and having, like, any expectation on me and, um, you know, sort of not have to do anything to prove and, and I could just go and be a, be a can and fall off and and um, and you know we just started building ramps like we had some really small ramps around Wigan and and sort of north of England and um, and it was just really fun to session and just have just have fun basically but also start learning and I'm one of these people who um, I'll just keep hitting hitting my head against the wall until I kind of get a crack in it so and if I'm if I'm you know, determined on something, I just keep going, and, and that's what kind of happened in skateboarding, so, you know, if I was trying to learn, uh, like, a certain trick, like, there's one trick, you know, it's just a basic trick, just a rock and roll front side uh, sorry, backside rock and roll, and I just couldn't do it, you know, and i just, every single day, I'd just go, and I'd just practice, and I'd wear out my wheels, so i just, I'd square off a set of wheels, because I couldn't get it back around, and kept sliding down the ramp, and, and you know, and until like, I'd nailed that trick, so that's kind of the, what I was like when I was doing that, and kind of the same when I was when I was riding BMX, and kind of throughout my life. So, um, so yeah, it just so it just went from there really into into starting to compete. So I started to get into um, started to compete in the English Skateboard Association, and and um, yeah, Derry Thompson was it was like a leading light in that in that thing, and. Um and we started we put on a, I actually put on a competition at Ardwick, We built a ramp there with Tim and Dave and um, at the time it was like a pretty good ramp and pretty small now when I think about it, but it was super smooth. And I had been sponsored by Shiner, I think I talked about that, so they were really good to me throughout my sort of skate, well my BMX and then sort of skate times if you like. And they just um they just used to flow me kit give me great packages and, and just support me throughout that time. So I was kind of like a sponsored skater, even though I was pretty, pretty shy, really, um, and just learning. So I just competed in B-grade comps, But Shan used to flow me stuff and give me a nice, like, power package and stuff. And, and they helped out with this competition. So I ran this competition. A lot of the big sort of, you know, the, the leading skateboarders from around the country came to it. And um, I ended up knocking myself out. Um, so in practice, so I, yeah, nailed myself and woke up in hospital and gave myself um, a good dose of amnesia or well, concussion and amnesia, and um, so I missed actually missed the finals of the comp. Apparently, it was quite a good competition. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, and, and yeah, good good memories of that time that I, I we had talked briefly the other week, but I, I remembered this and I was Tony Alva, and um, you, you're probably aware of Tony Alva oh, yeah, and most yeah. people are. And um he came over um to skate and he ended up skating hardwick. He came over one night and I can't remember how it came about, but you know, I mean it's Tony Alva, isn't it? And you skate and you look around with Tony Alva, and it was like, No way and Yeah, that's pretty cool. He had, he had the he was the first guy I saw with like let's say like a cool tattoo. So he had he has and you know, he had and he has. He's got his Alva logo on the back on his back. Like I mean, it looks like someone's just walked up and whacked a sticker on his back right. and then walked off, you know. But it's actually it was the first time um, I'd seen a, a, like a like a cool tattoo because well tattoos were always you know they were they were not like they are now, are they? do you know what I mean? Where everyone's got one or whatever, you know. Um, and he, he said to me, I was skating, we were skating, skating away and stuff. And, and he said to me, which was a huge compliment for me at the time, he said, he asked me to do another grind because I was always, well, I'm, I'm reasonably good at front grinds. I've got my own little style. And, and, and it's just one of those tricks in skateboarding. That it's like a, it's like a seminal trick. And, and, um, you know, it's kind of the stalwart. It's like a, you know, the, 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 the building block of skateboarding, if you like. And, and, um, and and he, he asked me so Tony Albert, who's an absolute master of, of grinds, asked me that you know he said look can, that was an amazing grind you did can you do another and I was like no way Tony Albert has asked me to do another grind so kind of got me pumped up and I kept going and you know I ended up competing with the SA and went to Monster um, in Germany to compete in they used to call it the World World Skate Championships or something like that but it was it was pretty amazing and. Um, I went over with Neil Dan's and and a couple of other people and Derry, um, I think Derry Thompson came, and yeah, and that's and I just started competing, and that was it. I I can't remember a definitive date of when I stopped, you know, stopped BMXing because it cause there was no date. It was just I just kind of uh, you know metamorphosized into skateboarding and and um and I know we you know I've said this to you. We were you know you, you remember the term Transformers, so. If you if you were a skateboarder on BMX, that people used to call you a transformer, and it's just something I remember from the time, which was hilarious because you know now it doesn't matter, does it? You can you can mountain bike, you can BMX, you can you can you can ride a penny tharving, you know, you can ride a unicycle. It doesn't it doesn't really matter, but then it was like a big deal because yeah. there was kind of like a real um like a like a like a set line. You were kind of like one or the other sort of thing, and um, but um. Yeah, and 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 that sort of took me took me into a, a few different areas, really. So, so from being a, if you like, a, you know, a, I use the term loosely, like a like a paid BMX rider, I went from from earning you know nothing then, and being a skateboarder and just kind of living sort of surviving hand to mouth, and um, I ended up moving moving down to. Um, to South Sea in Portsmouth, and, and um, I ended up living in a house at, um, with Tracy, a guy called Tracy Weller, who owned the house, and um, a couple of other guys who were skaters who lived there. So we're all skaters, and all we did was skate South Sea, Vert round and the park, and just had, you know, really good sessions, like loads of good skaters, like high intensity, and... Um, you know, pretty much every night after work, we'd all just go, and then we'd party and, and all that kind of stuff, and then a lot of... Was this, like, so, what, like,
0: late 80s, late 80s or early 90s? Yeah, yeah, so this was, this would have been, this was, like, 86, 87,
1: I think, something like that. Okay, so you'd still <clears throat> see, to,
0: when, when you was at Sassy, would you still see some of the BMX guys there Then like, people you knew from Freestyle? You know, I can honestly,
1: I think it was, like, I know because, like, Craig... Fade Campbell would have rode there, but I can't remember seeing him. And I'm sure, I mean, I've seen pictures of Neil Ruffell and, you know, and they had all rode there and were really good there. But I, I never rode a bike there. and I never remember seeing anyone like who I knew from back in the day, you know, kind of thing. It um, probably
0: died off a bit during that period anyway, kind of like racing. It was kind of taking a, a downward spiral, you know, a little bit. So it's probably not as big as it was, um, yeah, probably in the, in the early to, to mid-80s, you know, so...
1: Yeah, that, that's that's it, and it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because it, it dies down like all these things. It dies down, but then it comes more hardcore, you know. And you had like yeah, the almost, like the underground comps, like which were which were still just as good, and in, in fact, probably better. Like especially <laughs> yeah. always had a really Yeah, same uh, in
0: same in racing in the. Uh, I've, I've talked about it before. You know, the early '90s. You know, late '80s, early '90s, kind of when it was, at, you know, probably one of its worst times, no sponsorship, you know, all the factory stuff had kind of, you know, the magazines and everything had kind of died off. But it seemed like looking back now when there was no money and there's a lot of cool events and like racing was actually pretty cool then looking back now, even though at the time, yeah, there was not many people to ride with, you know, during the week. The only time you'd get to hang out and see people were at the races. So you just go to more events and that, you know, so, yeah, I seem it's kind of in line with freestyle probably, you know, the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I missed out on, on a bit of that, you know, and, and I got a flavour of it with skateboarding because, cause, you, know, you know, everyone would look at skateboarding, unless you were a skateboarder then, and go, you know, it died in the 70s, and yet there was this huge upswell, you know, an upsurge of, of, of people doing it, and then... The, the, you know, we used to go to this there was like it almost turned into a into a mini kind of festival. Well it was a mini festival. It was a um there's a roller roller skater called Mon Barber.
0: Yeah I remember and he had his own yeah. he, did you I don't know if
1: you ever heard of Mom, but he's really good uh, really good guy, really good roller skater and he built his own ramp Yeah, he used an um, action
0: bike quite a bit at the time, around that yeah, that that period. There's uh he had like jams, didn't he?
1: That's that's right, yeah, yeah. And that, that jam. So Mom's Jam turned into literally like a, like a tiny mini Woodstock, you know, like it, it just got bigger and bigger. I think it, I think we went to it like three years in a row or something and like it was, you know, you could just see the way it was going, but it was so much fun because it was like just, just, you know, super, super core and only the people who kind of knew about it were there and, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's how, how it was rolling really and then, you know, skateboarding in South Sea was great because um, because we had a lot, of, well, we, we added a lot of traveling pros came through. And um, I can't remember how that came about, but like Craig Johnson, who was a Zolak skater and a, and a super ripper, you know, like, um, came and stayed with us. And so we ended up skating with those guys. And then a, a couple of the guys, that's right, so Mark and Barry Abrook, who were Zolak-sponsored British skaters, and they used to go back and forward to Texas, and then we all sort of got that Texas connection, um, with like people like Jeff Phillips and and um, uh, you know and, and Craig Johnson, like saying, and, and people like that. And then so so there was kind of like a transatlantic um, challenge going on, you know. So we travelled over there, hang out with those guys and skate, and and, and I. I spent, I think I spent three months over there, and and, um, I should have done it more. I mean, I know we talked about this, but like the level of skating was incredible. So when I finally got over there, I was like, "Oh, I should have done this in the BMX days, really." And you know, but um, it it was what it was, and and it was it was a pretty cool experience. And you know, I ended up coming back, and I was a lot better skater just because I was skating with better skaters. So I kind of moved up into the A grade and did that, and. You know, and and sort of then, then I ended up opening a skateboard shop for a period of time, about a year, I right, fact, And then I realised that you know it kind of wasn't what I wanted to do. And skateboard shops were about sitting there and waiting for people to come in the door, and you know. But it was um, part of this skate-owned shops, the SOS thing. And Davey Phillips and Jamie Blair opened Clan Skates, and uh, I think Neil Downs opened a shop in Liverpool. And, a bunch of other people, so I, I did that in Chorley with a mate of mine, Doug Nelson. And, um, and yeah, I ended, up, I ended up getting sponsored. I think I was sponsored by a few companies, and, and I left China and I, spon- I, I skated for Zorlak for a while, which was great because it was kind of like they flowed me really good packages and were really helpful to me. And then I actually ended up in the end the skater for Alan Losey. And, and Alan Losey's is a pretty well known American skater and really good guy. and... And I ended up skating for, the last company i skated for was, um, you've heard of Death Box, which, yeah. which was, yeah, they're like, the, you know, the biggest biggest company and I think skateboard manufacturer in the world, or certainly were at some point, they're medical of and the name escapes me you now, but they're based in America and he, he had an offshoot, so I had a pro model out with those guys and, you know, didn't really do it justice, but he was really good to me and we ended up going to Brazil. And Europe and things like that, and and you know, some you yeah. know, getting getting reasonably good and enjoying it and stuff, and 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 so that was that led me into, um, again not BMXing because I was just skating and and sort of doing that, and um, but led me into surfing. So Gary Lee um, and a bunch of the bunch of the Portsmouth skaters used to um, used to go skating, sorry, surfing. And uh, they used to go to Cornwall for the weekend and, and surf, and I was like, "Whoa, this is this is great, you know." Like, um, and so I kind of realised for me that that to surf, I would need to live by the surf, um, and and um, so I ended up selling my hip hop record collection, um, which was a you know <laughs> about twenty albums, but they are all like super cool albums. I thought I wish I still own them to this day, um, and I bought a bought a you know surfboard and toothpick of a surfboard and uh moved down to Cornwall. And um yeah, just bumped with friends um for a while and um thanks to those people who pulled me and um I ended up buying a mini caravan um and, you know, I thought it was a man of property at the time. and uh, just a tiny little caravan, you know, two two person caravan. But it was what I had to do to surf, you know, and just um just did whatever I could. I washed dishes. Um made made meals in an old people's home, which was quite an experience. Um, so, cook them, cook them dinner and all that kind of stuff. Um, and um, and just, just lived day by day, really. And, um, but I learned to surf. Um, so, that was the main reason I was there. So, I could surf, because a lot of it was shift work. And, and so, I was down in Newquay and Perrenporth. And at that time, Dale, there was no, there, there was a small skate scene, and I can't remember anything about BMX. It was just that, at that time in those areas, I mean, it seems that those type of things now go hand, hand in hand. You know, anywhere you go to, you generally got a really good skate park. And, I mean, if you think about it now, anywhere, any country, any city in most countries has got a really good skate park or a BMX track, but then it, it kind of wasn't really. A, mm-hmm. um, and certainly Key's definitely got a lot of facilities now and, and stuff. But so I just, yeah, it was just surfing, really. Um, and... Um, and and uh, yeah, there's a place called Mount Hawk. I did I did skate there once, but it, it didn't have a vert ramp and stuff. And um, so so yeah, so 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 basically that led me to Ireland, right? So I've talked about I, I just met someone and, and I moved to Ireland and just followed my heart kind of thing. And um, didn't really think too much about the geography of the place um, or what was happening. And um, and this would have been this would have been the early nineties now. So I ended up moving to Ireland and I ended up in a place called County Donegal, which um, which basically was a surf hog, a surf. I have the sense is a surf hog, surf mecca, amazing reef breaks and point breaks and, and things like that. So I just you know unbeknownst to me fell on my feet for surfing, and ended up and um, ended up surfing some of the some of the best ways that I think you know, this planet has to offer, and it's a little cold at times, and a little inconsistent, but when it's on, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, and the people are super friendly, you know, and just, just great, great times there, sort of thing, so, and, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of, <clears throat> kind of the surfing thing, you know, but, um, and I've talked a little bit, you know, in the interview that we did, about, about those days and stuff, and, um, you know lots of different things happen as you do doing life and that led me into to working in the ambulance service and um, through one thing and another through not knowing what I was doing and looking for a job and stuff like that which led me eventually I'm a, I work as a paramedic now but um but look I ended up staying there for 10 years and and again I didn't I didn't ride a, a BMX bike I didn't I didn't have a BMX bike and... um, um I had, I had got into motorcycling um, because I started following um, the, the Irish road racing scene, so I was just, you know, blown away by people like Joey Dunlop and, and just the way they race these superbikes on a, on just a, a normal Irish farm road, like, and, and it's kind of like it's, it's a mini version of the Isle of Man TT, so it's where a lot of them prepare for the Isle of Man TT, and, um, you know, it's a huge thing over there. And, and just just the most down to earth people do the craziest things, you know, and uh, don't get any reward for it. There's no great there's no great crowds there. It's just a core following of people, and I was just blown away because I always wanted to be a motorcycle racer. You know, that was me. That was me thing, and and i had never got the chance. I'd never had the money, and 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 I think to be honest, if I mean I don't know about you, but like for me, I. I think everyone, to a certain extent, started BMX because they were wannabe motorcycle racers. And that's what it was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was a cheap version of motorcycle racing. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, I couldn't afford to race a motorcycle, but BMX was the next best thing. And then it, and then, from, the funny thing was that, obviously, as you know, like BMX metamorphosized and, and, and actually influenced BMX, sorry, motorcycle racing. So, you know, influenced, motocross, didn't it? It influenced so many things. And then you know, now it's just, it just sort of, you know, bounces between a few of them really. So, so I ended up, um, I, I, you know, I ended up um, doing a little bit of motorcycle racing. I bought, a, I bought, I got my license and, and I bought a, I bought a CBR 600 and, um, and basically the foot and mouth thing hit, And this is, so this is 2000 now and I'm trying to keep it in sort of yearly context, but, I I couldn't race, so I'd got my Irish road racing license to, to, you know, to become a novice road racer, and you had to do a couple of races, and then you could take your orange vest off, and then you were good to go, but the foot and mouth epidemic hit, and they stopped all the road racing for fear of cross infection in, in Ireland, and I think in the UK as well. So I ended up going to Three Sisters, which we all know, and, and I, I think most of us are BMXers, and certainly us a lot, and you'd know it, as growing up there and, and you oh, know, yeah. you know racing there, and I grew up around that area. So I ended up, you know, just being, you know, taken back to there, but this time to race motorcycles, and um, and that's the only place I could get a race. So I turned up and, and did great, you know, and, and, and did really good in the, in the Rookies, and then, pretty good in a super sport class and and um, so that was my introduction to road racing um, on a motorcycle and then it ended a month later when I crashed and, and, and um, <laughs> broke my collarbone and, and knocked myself out and you know did some what I thought were big injuries but it, you know in the grey scheme of things nothing in the life of a motorcycle racer but I got a little taste of it. Um, and and you know, eventually, the, like I came back to the UK, right? So circumstances transpired in early two thousand that I I I'd, I'd, I'd come back to the UK and I had some money that I had, I had bought some land in Ireland, um, and I just had a I, you know I thought I was rich and a bunch of cash in the bank and <clears throat> thought I'd never have to work again and all this kind of stuff and. Um, didn't really know what was kind of going, going to do. Still don't know what I'm going to do in my life most of the time, but you know, Medial. most of us are in the, the same boat, aren't we? <laughs> you know, we just make it up as we go along. Right. You know, I think most of us, if are honest. And, and so, and, and I ended up, right, so I came back to the UK I ended up like, you know, going full circle because, you know, it was a,
0: goddamn I'm like a middle aged man, aren't I? And
1: I was then, like, I'm, now I'm even older than that, but. Ended up living back at my mother's house, um, you know, in the old room, just twiddling my thumbs, and going, "What am I doing?" You know, but I I bought a supermoto, so these, you know, the supermoto bikes are basically I describe them as a BMX with an engine, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna race supermotos." So I ended up doing that and spending a couple of seasons racing supermotos and using, you know, spending all the money that I accumulate on doing that, but never change, it was fantastic and and I did pretty good, you know, I got I made the A grade and and I got some trophies on the way up and and then like like anything with motorsport you know it's about how much money you can put into it and eventually, you know, unless you've got an endless pot it, it comes to an end. You know, you've got to you just get to a certain level or you get injured. You know, it's just basically that. And you know we had talked a little bit about this, but I think that BMX racing and skateboarding for me growing up with that as a background for me gives you like it gives you like a like a certain mindset so I would look at stuff that I've done like you know some I race I do a bit of road racing on bikes or I did do a lot more and I do you know a little bit of mountain biking and you know started this gravel biking but I look at that stuff and I just go I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kill it because I can ride a BMX I'm gonna win it I'm gonna smash it you know because no one's got the same skills as I've got you know And, and it you know, and that's what it does for you, I think, and it gives you a certain you know, a certain way of looking at life and um, as well as, you know, the obviously obvious handling skills and bike skills and all that. So um so um yeah, so I up you know, so that's how I looked at Super Mario, you know, and you and, and that's what I did and it eventually, you know, made the A grade. But then, you know, you realise that the age is a factor as well, you know, you've got to be young to, to sort of keep going at these things and be you know you know, if you like, make a career, and certainly supermoto. There was no career in that, unless you went on to race in sort of British super bikes. I raced with Christian, a guy called Christian Eden, um, and um, and he's he's now racing top level British superbikes, and yeah, he's pretty, he's an amazing talent. But you know, so that so that that was that was kind of like that was a period of time during the, the early 80s down and um, and then as I say I ran out of money but I discovered Australia right so in the sense of I had I'd gone over for a holiday to do some warm water surfing in Bali right so I'd only ever surfed in frigid Cold War and I was you know I used to you know you look at the magazines the same ways when we were looking at the California BMX mags when we were kids and skate mags and going oh look it's always sunny in America you know because that's the impression it gives you doesn't it you know and, um, and so I wanted to go and have a tropical surf experience and surf in a pair of board shorts as opposed to a five mil wet wetsuit with wooden gloves, you know. So I, I went over in, uh, and surfed in Bali and hung out there for a while in a couple of different places with the remainder of my money. And, and um, I ended up going to Australia. Didn't really want to, um, but I ended up somebody invited me over and. Um, and thought, oh, yes, yeah, not, not a bad place, you know, like, and it seems like, you know, a bunch of stuff you can do. I had no idea how big the place was and, you know, the different climates that it has in, 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 its, in its interior and stuff. But so I went to, I decided I wanted to move here and I certainly have a crack at it, but um, age wasn't, wasn't in my side. So, you know, as you get older, it gets more difficult and all that kind of stuff. And. Um, but but when I used to come over and travel, I used to just think it was settled for our type of thing. Like he, we talked about, I know me and you had said about about California and, and, and you know in America is like if you're into, I don't like to call them action sports. It's bollocks, and it? you know, or, you know, like you know, BMX and skateboarding. So or you know whatever the other sports you want to deem is that type of thing. But you know, it's settled for it. You know, like people look at it and it's like you know it's great, and it? you're not know, looked down upon. I mean, I found in the UK that I was, when I was a BMXer, I was, you know, what you doing on a kid's bike? And then when I was a skateboarder, it was like, what you doing on that? It should have died out in the seventies. And, and, and now it's like, it's got loads of respect, you know, and because it's in the Olympics and, and skateboarding is now going to be in the Olympics and you know, so it's just a, you know, I always felt that I was always a bit behind the eight ball. And so everything I did was always, you know, seen as a kid's sport. Or, so but but when you came to Australia it was like, you know, I, you know, because of the climate and, and they just set up everything up, you know, so they even had a skateboarding course. So a skateboard coaching course, which leads me nicely on to and um, when I came back to the UK, I'd run out of money in Australia, right? And I was like, So this was this was it, this was last chance alone for me. So I didn't really know what I was gonna do and um and the funny story was that I, I sort of sat there and thought, well, you know, what what skills have I got? And well, and I was like, well, you know, okay, I've done ambulance work, but not much else really. Um you know, I didn't feel uh, that it was sellable, but I could ride a BMX and a skateboard. And at that time, I was like, well, no one, no one has taught us how to. How to? You know, I I was never taught. There was never a book. There was never. I mean, there was old books. Yeah, I get it, right? But they were rubbish, weren't they? I mean, they really. When I read back, they were terrible. And then, you know, it was written by some dork who never knew anything about the sports and, and how to describe it. And you know, the the thing that we could that we can do is we can. I think we can at least put it across, and and you can help people with it. So. So I ended up ringing, coming back to the UK, and going, "What am I doing?" Sitting in my room, twiddling my thumbs, and figuring that I was going to do—I was going to become a BMX or a skateboard coach. Or I was at least going to move towards that 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 way. And so I rang British Cycling up, and I, I think I literally got the um, the number out of the phone book, and and some guy—I was put onto some guy, and he was just sounded like he had cobwebs right around him, and he was ancient, you know, and i, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty cycling. And I know that we talked about this, right and I, I didn't realize that you, you know, like I said, I'm a bit late to the party, but you guys have been involved in, in coaching and you had you'd been, you'd been doing you know, it, been not you, through the
0: 90s? Well, no, uh, we'd, we'd had, you know, I had a, I, had a, I don't I had a, I hate using the word coach, but I had a trainer. Uh, it kind of kicked in, in the, the French guys maybe started it first in the mid-90s at least um, over here in the U.S., and then a few of us started, you know, getting our own little coaches and stuff. We got um, a couple of us riders, you know, myself, Jamie Staff, Dylan Clayton, and then a few years later, Neil Wood and the the Murray brothers, um, way before, you know, say late, late, late 90s, um, we got plugged into uh, British Cycling. I forgot what it was called, the performance plan or something. A guy called Peter Keane ran it. And this is before, the, you know, even the Olympics was uh, announced for BMX. But anyway, they gave us, you know, a bunch of funding and stuff. Cynthia Murray was uh you know, we we named her a team manager. That was Martin and Stephen's mom. And, yeah, there was quite a lot of money to do a lot of, you know, uh, to travel. And we went to, you know, they always funded the World Championships. We got salaries and stuff. And it was all kind of on top of what we already had going on anyway. You know, myself, Neil and Jamie were already in the U.S. And um, so it was kind of a little extra extra for what was actually doing. But they did. we did go up there a couple of times and start doing some training stuff with the, the British Cycling. I think a guy called Simon Jones, I think he does the Australian program now, he was kind of the one of the early guys, him and Peter Keane. So I did a little bit of training with him. Um, yeah, so we, we, we slowly started to plug into the, the stuff like that. And then when it came around again, when it got announced into the Olympics, I think that's when you got involved and, and Geth was um, involved. I remember Geth telling me that it bumped into you at a, a British cycling um, training weekend or something. And obviously, um, so yeah, it kind of came around for the second time then, but obviously with the Olympic thing, you know, where there was another national team uh, myself, Kelvin Beatty, I Liam Phillips, who was young at the time—I think he was still kind of moving into the junior ranks—and then obviously Shaine's Reed, um, and, and a couple other, uh, yeah, other young guys that were, were, were coming through, you know. So yeah, I think uh, that's when they started actually getting coaches, you know. So um, and obviously that's where you kind of came into it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, <clears throat> dead right, Dale. I mean, it was—you know—I think it was always seen as the like you know the, the run of the litter wasn't it you know if i'm i think if we're being honest yeah, oh especially
0: absolutely by... yeah i i you know a few times again i was coming towards the end of my career anyway it was this so this is probably 05 06 ish um and yeah i was gonna kind of i was flip i was racing a little bit in in the uk at the time or you know free agent Two was my sponsor at the time um we set up some distribution over there in england and um so i i just kind of kind of worked it out where I was coming back to help with the free agent stuff, but obviously, you know, plugging into some of this national team stuff as well. And they just wanted, you know, for me, my deal was, was just, just to go to some of these races in Europe and get GB some points and get them on the map, you know, a little bit as this Olympic thing started to move forward. So, yeah, the the few times I did go over to, to British Cycling, I did feel exactly what you said, you know, when you got people like Chris Hoy and all these, you know, uh, I think Wiggins and all those guys were already already taken off their names and stuff. And I remember going, I always felt like, yeah, kind of a, I don't know the words "loser," but I just felt didn't feel right when I was going up there, you know, because you know they didn't really like BMX, or that's the impression I always got at the start, you know. And obviously, it's changed a lot now since then. But yeah, I I, I always kind of felt a little that was insecure, but just kind of didn't feel right when I went up to that, you know, up to Manchester, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure it was. Um, yeah, it was just yeah. We Jeremy old, uh, uh, was, Jeremy to Hayes
0: see. was uh, the team man, you know. Yeah. Uh, was a team manager for a little while and Jeremy Hayes as well at those early um, teething years, I think, I guess you could say of the program.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's, you know, I remember those names and and obviously we ended up working with Jeremy but, um, I, I, you know, with regards, when we backtrack, you know, for backtrack a little bit, when I made this phone call to this guy, he was, um, you know, I just said, oh, my name's Mike Pardon, he used to do BMX and... And you know, I've thought about are you gonna do some BMX and he's like, No, nah, no chance, you know, there's you know, there's no way and um so that was the kind of the brick wall that I hit and then I wanted to try and develop a coaching programme and then I just got I just got bogged down in the in the nitty gritty of it really. I didn't realise there's so much to it and things like that and, and you know, just thought I could do it basically. And then, you know, you get into the insurance end of it and you've got to write the syllabus and all this kind of stuff and, and um and, uh, you know, and, and funnily enough, like, you know, we've talked about this as well, But there's a, the, and I can't think of his name, but when we were talking last time, like, there was a there's a French coach, right? He's a well-known French BMX coach. Oh, no, he's, he's not even a BMX coach, right? He's, like, well up in the French UCI, if you like. And he said that he would, if he could pick one discipline to pick his athletes from, it would be BMX. Yeah. Because he said that that gives, you know, all the riders so you so you kind of win them on bmx you know and then you could cherry pick them then for whatever discipline exactly yeah i think they're
0: identifying that more now that you know bmx is the start for all all cycling you know whether whatever you go into yeah but i think even back then uh, not everybody kind of worked that out even though we kind of knew it ourselves right yeah yeah
1: exactly and and um yeah, so, so that was, you know, those those little things, those little barriers breaking down, like Chris Hoy, Chris Hoy, I remember the famous story, like, because Chris Hoy was obviously a BMXer, and mm-hmm. I never, you know, crossed paths with Chris, I don't think, I might have seen him when I was in British Cycling. but I had a very, very small part, I was just in as a as a part-time coach, and trying to get my foot in the door, really, and, and Jeremy was a, you know, was a, is and was a really good coach, and he was there, you know, full-time, he was pushing hard to bring on this Olympic development program and, and things like this. But Chris Hoy, there's this, you know, the story of Chris Hoy where, obviously he was from a BMX background, and he, he came on to be, you know, he's a massive sprinter in the um, on the velodrome and stuff like that, or was, you know, a multiple champion. And he kind of broke down some barriers because he had that BMX background. But the story was that he was testing out for... Um, on a static bike to, to to do his power testing and, he, and, he, and I, I believe that he tore the bars off the,
0: uh, off the. You know,
1: he had so much power. And I mean, you can you could look at that a couple of ways. You could say, well, maybe they didn't tie on the bolts, and all there were some, you know, th- you know battered bars and stuff. But you know, it was like, well, there's a bit of kudos for someone who's got that that sprint power from BMX, you know. And um, so so that was an interesting time, right? Because. Um, because I ended up just doing a bit of part-time coaching and get a little insight into the way that British cycling works, and you know, obviously they're in the news quite a bit now, aren't they, for different stuff? And and um, but yeah, they I, I think you know, great organisation, great for cycling. It's great that they've they brought it all on, and you know, they were obviously getting prepared for the Olympics, and the, you know, and Sinead was was a big part of that, and um, and you know, and she had the skills where she could transfer over, and and that was the thing that I saw as well that you know people who I when I went to the started doing the nationals again because I got into racing because Alan asked me to race again for the 40 plus cruiser thing and and I ended up doing the masters um, 20 inch as well for a couple of seasons and you know and doing okay that sort of thing well you
0: did okay I remember that's when I was doing the races that's when you kind of want to you know you say you came back and won a whole bunch of British titles in the, yeah, in those divisions for those two, the few years I was there, I remember see, always seeing you winning, yeah. you know, so still, still always great on a bike, you know?
1: Yeah, oh, well, thanks, mate, it's, um, I, I, you know, we just, I just had that, that experience of keeping fit, like, which I didn't have before, but I could still maintain the bike skills, and I, and I'd done that by riding, by buying a new school bike, if you like, which is now an old school bike, but it's not a true old school bike, right, but you yeah, know what yeah. I'm talking about. Late, mid-school, and, right. um yeah, that's right, and, and, and learning how to ride again, you know, so, that, you know, the the interesting bit about that, like, and I've got to bring that up a little bit, was that I only ever dropped in on a ram, like, with my back when on the ramp. so it was a quarter pipe, and I think I might have done a sideways drop in, um, I, I think so anyway, Um but I used to use the coastal brakes, so obviously when I came back to riding parks and, and you know, they didn't really have quarter pipes and stuff, it was just mainly parks, or indoor wooden parks, and a lot of them had coping and things like this, and and kids just kind of rolled in, you know, into a, you know, pretty vert quarter-pipe or whatever, or they just like, whatever, you know, the, the, it wasn't like, they didn't used to stick the back wheel on the edge, and, unless they did like a hop-out and then just hop back in, but... To me that was like, whoa, that's a that's a big trick, you know. So uh-huh. so I had to go through this process of learning those those new skills again, which which when I did that on a bike, that invigorated me as well because I was learning again, you know, as an older man, like learning new skill BMX tricks. So, you know, for instance I learned now to go over a spine and I mean, I'm sure you do spines and you've done them, but I don't know what you... When I first looked at a spine ramp, all I could see was death and injury. I actually had a little
0: men... You know, I was never one big for freestyler stuff real quick, but they built an indoor place uh, in Nottingham, indoor ramp place in the... This would have been early 90s when there wasn't much going on. And then during the daytime, they had like a... I don't know what it was, a mini ramp with a spine in the middle, and I stared at that thing for God knows how many months, that I was going to... And I still never did it, you know? It could have even been a couple of years or like... I never did it and I always thought I can and then I always thought, you know what, I can't, you know. So that's my thing on <laughs> well, that, spines anyway.
1: <laughs> that gives me hope, right? Because I, I I spent two weeks. I went to Stockport and, right. and Dave Alden and Tim Stamp had built a pretty, pretty awesome indoor skate park there. Yeah. And it had a spine ramp, right? And and I I started riding there when I was back in the UK, and, and I was like, I've, and I just couldn't. I just looked at it. So, so I look at it from a BMX point of view, right? So if you look at it from an old-school point of view, and I go, okay, I'm going to flip out, and I'm going to land on my back on the spine and break me break me back. So right. that's the that's option, right?
0: right. Yeah. Easy, yeah. Right.
1: And the other option is that I'm going to go over, I'm going to endo and smash my face so hard into the floor. Right. So that that's, the you know, and then I'd watch
0: these kids go over it, right?
1: And I'd just go... They, they just do it like it's nothing. you Yeah, know, like, look, and that's so,
0: what makes it, that was tough for me. When I used to go to this Nottingham place, Jamie Besswick was there all the time. And yeah. he obviously made it look like, you know, just jumping up and down a curb or something, you know. And uh, yeah. But I guess I was looking at the wrong guy, really, to, to, <laughs> to, to Yeah, props to base, Jamie, I think. Yeah, yeah. It. I think he was making it look easier than, well, obviously it was easy for him. But anyway, yeah, I I never did it. <laughs> Well, I, I,
1: so I spent two weeks looking at it and going, okay, so I'm kind of like, you know, and, and I remember I took a full-face helmet and I, I bought a body armor, so the Fox body armor, and these kids all, like, lined up just, you know, pissing themselves, laughing at me, and I go, okay, I'm going to do it. And I, anyway, I did it, and I learned spine ramps. I I, I crashed, and I did it really lame. I kind of, you know, flicked over it and landed on the flap, but then I managed to do it, and I could do it reasonably well, so... So then it was nothing, but you know, it led me to to keeping that bike handling. So when I came back to to do racing, I had that and I had a bit of fitness. Yeah. And like you know, like we and again I bring it up, but it was you know, I always thought of this forty plus class, like and no disrespect, but it it seemed like um, like you know the old dads racing, but but it wasn't because. As we've, as we've mentioned in in the past, like, you know, it was guys who have never stopped racing or who have got the skills and the fitness, and because you get older doesn't mean you necessarily get, you know, you, you, you're older and fatter and you get slower, you know, a lot of people get, they get faster, they get more skills and more wily, and so, you know, I just, just hit it at a time when, um, you know, it was good, and I, I raced, like, um, Sean and Sean Calvert and there's a couple of guys Adrian Adrian I can't remember Yeah, I name yeah, yeah sorry yeah,
0: picture but, racing you a few weeks ago on Facebook yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right
1: yeah and, and and you know good guys and, and uh, yeah. Tony Slater and I ended up racing Tony Slater which was awesome you know because yeah. I can't remember racing Tony because Tony was always redline I always remember Tony as redline but I think he might have been a year younger you know you know, back in the old school days. And I think when
0: you maybe, because you was number two to, to, to Ruffle, I think then after you moved yeah. to Freestyle, I think then Tony Slater would have been him and Keith Wilson were probably number two or three behind Ruffle as well. So maybe even though it kind of seems like it's the same time, you, you're, yeah, I guess your past never really crossed. But yeah, Tony was really good. And when he came back, he actually rode for, for us, for our free agent UK team for a while. And I remember he was he was still pretty pretty handy, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure, and and I think the same with Keith. Like I never, I can't remember racing Keith because I think Keith Wilson might have been a year younger or something like that, or something, you know. But and I, and I probably stopped, and I was just doing my freestyle and stuff. But so yeah, so that was great. So I ended up, you know, ended up racing and. And being involved a little bit in coaching with with the, with British Cycling and, and and then doing Alan's team for him, so Alan Woods had had this team and, and I, was
0: on, you know, was on that team, right? Was it Supercross?
1: Yeah, so he used to. Yeah, he, he Alan sort of looked after, her, he took her under his wing and Chiney's. I think a, you know a bunch of personal sponsors and stuff, but Alan used to help her out and she used to you know obviously come come and hang out with us and whoever and, um, and there was Aaron Shrewsbury and um, and and. Shanae Charlotte Green, I think, the names that are jumping in mind, uh, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they all, they all came. We had, a, we had a pretty good pretty good setup, and you would have seen it. And, and I yeah, thought, I agree, yeah. you know, we got, we got super pro. You know, there's one – one. I think I did it for a couple of years, two or three years, maybe just two. But we got a load of sponsors. We went to Madison and did a big presentation, myself and Alan, and they, they floated all the DXR stuff, which, you know, wasn't and isn't cheap. Especially at the time, so we all had you know DXR group sets on the bikes for the team. They had, we had vans flow like three sets of shoes per rider, considering there's probably like 10 riders. Um, and you know, the clothing was all sponsored, so you know, we had the easy ups there. And, and you know, Alan's pretty busy what he does, so I ended up. You know, going and setting up, setting up that for the races, and then racing yourself and all that. Yeah, and, um, I remember
0: you guys had a real pro setup. You know, it's like Alan's always done it the right way. You know, that's kept them relationships. Yeah. and uh, always made it look good. You know.
1: Yeah, he's um, he, you know, I know we
0: we you know touch base on that, but he, he does know
1: how to you know he's got that Alan touch of making things look, look kind of factory. Yeah, yeah he's got, he's just got that way. He always has that. You know, and, yeah. um you know, and um so. So yeah, that, that, you know it was a good experience, eh? And you know during during that time, I I got involved in that BMX manual. So so British Cycling wrote a how to BMX or you know section one or something like that, because cause it had never never really been done, and because they were taking it on board and they saw it as a serious thing now, um, and it was going to be in the Olympics, of course. They, they you know and they could probably probably see the potential of cherry picking athletes from the BMX program tour to the sports as well so you know obviously Sinead's I'd, I'd done that and gone into track cycling and all that kind of stuff and, and um, you know then you've got the, the option of, of putting him into mountain biking cross country mountain biking and things like this you know so so um, so yeah so that's that's kind of that was how that led me and then I had a bunch of injuries just right at the end of like the, the, the sort of racing season like I crashed in Wales on the, in, in the final round and won the cruiser Class and then I broke my scapula, and um, which put me out for a while. And then I ended up breaking my wrist a couple, and dislocating my shoulder, um, and and um, and so <clears throat> and then I just ended up I ended up um, I ended up moving to Australia. So I got a, I got an option. To, to move over and try and be a try and you know work my way up to be a, a fully qualified paramedic Um, i had been if you like an EMT or a first responder in, in Ireland in the UK and um and I just I just went with open arms you know so I just went I, I flew over to Perth and, and and sort of left everything and said goodbye to to a bunch of my UK friends like John Lee and, and Jed and those people and Doug and Dave Arnold and stuff and and um yeah, I didn't think too much about it, actually, but yeah, it was been, it's, so I've been here 10 years now. It's been, you know, it's been, um, it's definitely been uh, up and downs at times, you know, but I've got a dual passport, I've got an Aussie and a, and a British passport, which was good, and I qualified as a paramedic. Um, I've been doing that for, for over 10 years now, um, in various guises, like frontline paramedic work, and then I did some some remote site work and stuff, but... But yeah, I you do. Like I started, so I just, I, you know, I ride. I started racing, um, racing road bikes, um, and um, so I started racing. You know, like I, I bought a carbon bike and, and, you know, entered the masters races because I was, I guess I was nearly forty when I when I um, when I moved over. Or, yeah, I was over forty actually. I'm fifty four now, and. Um, I um, yeah. I ended up racing masters and, and thinking like, you know, I was going to going to win all the masters races and then because of, because I was a BMXer and yeah, I've, I've obviously got a reasonable sprint. I think well, most BMXers have, um, and and you've also got the bike handling skills. So a lot of the boat, you know, certainly the the older, they call them mammals. Have you ever heard of that term, Dale? For for an older. A rider, no, so it's, yeah, no. it's middle aged men in lycra, so it's an acronym for that, right? So you've got all these because it's the new golf, isn't it? They've, they've, they've talked about that for a while. So yeah. cycling, road cycling is the new golf, you know. So they all get together and have the coffee and talk about the business deals, but. You know, it's a good thing, it's a good way to meet people and it's a good way to keep fit and you know, you can obviously get get into your, your data and your you you know, your carbon cranks and your parameters and all that. But you know, at the end of the day you've got to pedal the pedals and do the Ks and, and do the smart training and, and eat right and sleep right and all that and and when you go out of a race, you know, you can't just think you're gonna go off the front and win it, you know, unless you're super strong and you make the right move. So you know, it's a little microcosm into what what, you know, these guys do on, on the 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 big races and stuff and um but yeah I got into it and I got I was quite good at crit racing. I'm quite good at crit racing. So the short circuit sprint stuff and cornering and stuff like that and, and what you power out and that. And um so I ended up yeah I ended up doing that mate and um Got a few bikes um, during the time here, and and I ended up competing in. I qualified for for Italy for the world, the, the masters. I, I must emphasise, so we're not talking anything other than that. But I mean, you know, it's still, still
0: tough now in any sport.
1: Yeah, that's it, and it masters is not is not what you think, is it? You know, I used to think, great, right, as I get older, I'm just going to smash it, you know, and then you realise that now you you got to try and you know bloody harder if not yeah. than when you were younger, and then. So I ended up competing in Trento in Italy in, in the masters and, and you know I finished and did okay respectably because it was hilly. Well I mean hilly as in mountains you know which there ain't no mountains in Perth that's for sure. And um, so you know I did all right and then um yeah and then for me I had a I had a life change so I so I moved I moved north of Perth and and um you know from cycling a hell of a lot and competing in mountain bike events. So I started competing in, I, I went to um, the national, sorry, the state championships of, of um, and I ended up competing in the cross country event and uh, I just thought, yeah, I'm going to win it and I was on a, you know, basically on a hard tail metal 26 inch and, you know, all the good guys are, uh, are on 29ers, and, you know, carbon 29ers and they just, they're as fit as road riders. And they've got the, the skills as well, so that was an eye opener, you know, because you then you realise that yeah, you know, you know, you, your BMX skills only caught it to a certain point, and then you've got to combine it with the other stuff, so the fitness and the the nutrition and stuff like that. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, because I'm, if you're gonna compete, because I'm not one to just go out for a ride. I've got to have a goal, and I've got to have a, I, I can't go out and have a pleasure ride, not yet anyway. Right, <laughs> I've got to have a
0: goal for it, you know. I've got to suffer a little bit, and I've yeah. got to suffer a lot. And I've Andy's just got, got to past handcuff. that now. I'm on the just and ride now, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good day. I can't wait. Yeah, eh? and I'm, yeah. I, mean, yeah. Not, I went through. I, what I you did it's as well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's
1: it's it, you know we I know we touched base on this, and and, and it is a great thing, you know. And um, it's just, I think to a certain extent, we may it, it covers up for you know. I can get rid of a bit of a, you know aggression or a bit of you know pent up tension doing that. So so I just yeah, I really struggled going out for a pleasure ride. Right? So but but yeah, so I ended up um I ended up, you know, life change and moving to a place called Jelton and I'm just surfing my ass off basically. Great waves and and, and you know I had a had a baby and, and built a house and stuff like that. So I've got a little baby, uh well he's a little boy now, four and a half called Sebastian. And um and, yeah, I ended up not riding because, you know, as you probably know, Dale, you know, fatherhood can change things and, and responsibility, like real responsibility. You know, I used to think that I did have responsibilities, but until until you got a family and, and stuff like that, it's a bit different, isn't it? So, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I ended up just not not riding then. And uh, and then, life's, you know, life changes again and, and I end up um, – I'm now living in Victoria Um in, in, in the sort of foothills to the high country they call it here, so it's about it's about 130 k north of Melbourne and and I, I work still work as a paramedic at, at this point um, and um, I moved over to be closer to my little fella and um, but I also had a, had a spate of injuries last year I had a, <clears throat> I broke him so I'd had, a, I had a I had a shoulder full shoulder reconstruction. In 2014, and that was accumulation of skateboarding and and and, um, and BMX injuries, I think, as well as a as a you know work related stuff because we you know unfortunately I got to lift bigger and bigger people, and then um, and then I I and I'd I um, I didn't even talk about this too, but I I've had like three major air operations, so, and that's all from surfing. So I don't know if you've ever heard. So if you if you if you speak to people who go surfing, especially in colder water, there's um. There's a thing called surfer's ear, to, to use a not better medical term, but it's basically if you get cold water in your ears, it, 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 your ear closes over and, and, and bony growth happens on the inside. It's like a natural thing. So you've got eventually, it gets worse and worse. Well, you can't hear or you get infections. And, and I've had three operations, like major ear surgery on on my ears um, over the years. And <clears throat> because, because of surfing so much, you know, it was just through cold water and stuff. So... And um, I've been under the knife a few times actually since I've been in Australia. So I had, to, I had the full shoulder reconstruction out that, And then, and then I ended up last year, well, I ended up getting back into, because the life changed. I i up getting into mountain biking and, and racing in the, um, they call it the gravity enduro. And it's kind of like a, just like a tan downhill, but it's not as gnarly as downhill. So you're not racing against anyone else, but the clock. Um, and I did pretty good and took it to the last round. And, uh, was 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 leading into the last round in my age group I emphasize um but um I had a, had a big crash and smashed my face up and stuff and um but I came second so I was pretty proud of that it was great and was really getting into it you know and really enjoying riding my bike again and, and enjoying riding the big wheels if you like and having a little play around on the 27 and a half and the 29s and and discovering what what it kind of meant you know like these all mountain and then they've got downhills and then you know I had no idea and then the cross country has got obviously less suspension and a bit stiffer and stuff and and so I'd mix it up at this jump park with a bit of BMX a bit of a 26 inch jump bike with front suspension and and my you know my mountain bike just to keep my skills up but I ended up crashing I I just was tired this day and crashing like you do you know you fall off a bike and you tend to break your collarbone but I really did a good job of it and I had a I had a plate put in last year. Um, I've never I've never had a, a plate put in in a collarbone. I'd broken one once before, and it just sort of, it was like a tented break, but it healed pretty well. But this was the other side, and they said like it's smashed, it's gone into four bits, and we're gonna have to plate it. So thank goodness for free medical healthcare, you know, because I don't know what you'd pay for that in in America, but I'm sure it'd be pretty expensive, you know. Oh, but yeah. I mean. Would they leave you in the lurch if you did that over there and you didn't have medical insurance? Would would they just could you get it done or would you have to pay for? I
0: don't know. I think you get it done, but then you get billed still, you know. And that's why a lot of people go into into debt and serious money problems when you get yeah because it's just astronomical. That what I mean the minute you put you in an ambulance, it's just crazy amount of money, you know. So yeah, it's really a crappy system over here. When you you know when I used to when I was racing during the nineties, you know, I broke my wrist and. Um A couple of times when I was in the States, I would literally hop on a plane and go back to England and get it done you know so <laughs> just, yeah, right. you know just uh yeah to to avoid those crazy costs you know and I did have you know I think we, like, we used to use travel insurance or something back then, but it was always better to go back and and not get you know stiff with those crazy bills that you hear people about over here you know yeah yeah exactly
1: well that that's i was I was pretty lucky so I had to I had this operation and, and I felt amazing, the shoulder felt amazing, um, and this was three days after the ult, and you know, normally, as, as you probably know, six to eight weeks for a collarbone, you know, you're immobilizing stuff, and I was kind of moving it a little bit and feeling good, and, and I ended up having like just a freak accident, and um, I, I, I just, I put the shoulder in a place where it didn't want to be, because it felt so good. I just, I, I reached over for something, because I just momentarily forgot I to. had, a, I had a, Broken clavicle, you know, and, uh, and it, what it did was it, it pulled the collar, the plate out. So the screws came out of the plate and it was p- worse than the initial pain of the fracture, you know. And um, so I ended up having to have, you know, spend two weeks with a, with a loose plate clanking about and, and causing me all kinds of pain and getting very fond of, um, you know, opiate based medication for two weeks as you do. And then and, um, and then they reoperated on it, and um, so it kind of put me, really put me back a bit. That, um, but it's 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 not too bad now. It's not 100 percent right, but um yeah. So so then, as I say, I'm over in Victoria now, and I've just started racing, and I just started racing again. I did a race last the weekend just gone, and um, and that was the gravel race, and and um, and that was it was only 55 k right, but I tell you what, it's it's a tough 55 k. Um, and um, it was a lot of climbing as well, as well as a lot of fast loose downhill. And these gravel bikes, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're kind of like a, you know, they've got wider wheels, they're kind of like a more relaxed road bike with, with wider tyres and kind of, they're not knobbly tyres, and they're a bit more robust and generally a single gear on the front and a, and a big, big cassette on the back so you can climb. Um, and more robust sort of trails, you know. So, um, but it's really good, eh? It just, it just, it's just another area to go cycling from, you know. So, so that's where I look at cycling now. Like I just, I've got a couple of mountain bikes, I've got a road bike, and and I've still got my BMXs, and um, you know, and, and and just sort of hop on whatever it takes me fancy. And the thing about living where I'm living is quite good roads, these quite good gravel tracks, it's pretty good mountain bike parks, Um I'm going to compete this weekend in a, you know, in, it's like a three hour event. So I'm not too sure what the crack is with it, what you basically head off on. And it's cross country mountain biking around a single track and it's got some good stuff on it. So it's not just flat, it's, it's, you know, it's got some nice burns on it and uh, some, a little bit of, you know, like I always think of downhill as like big obstacles, but it's not It's fast, you know, fast, like, you know, you, you kind of, you know, hitting as you go down sort of thing, that type of stuff, you know, um, and and um, so yeah, and and that's um, that's that's what I'm doing at the minute, right? And um, oh. and yeah, so so you know, got, I, I guess I guess I know we, you know, you sent me a list of questions and stuff, and I think regards goals and stuff like that. To to probably finish it off because I'm probably rambling a bit too much. But if I've missed anything or you want to ask me anything, please please do. Well, what I wanted what to missed, to, um,
0: to say, Mike, was. Um, <clears throat> Next year is 40 years of BMX in England. It's like the 40th year. Um, Yeah. So, you know, hopefully they're going to do something. I don't know if maybe the, uh, you know, the Rad guys, they have that Rad weekend, seems like uh, the Milton Keynes weekend, and then obviously you've got uh, Anthony and Andrew that are doing the book, who are obviously involved in Rad as well. So, yeah, between all those guys, and I'm sure there's some chatter around that it would be cool if they're doing, like, some kind of, Cool event or piggyback onto that weekend where everybody, you know, say you telling me that you wouldn't mind going over there, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's it. I always, um, yeah, Anthony's um, touch base with me for a year and Paul Greer and those those people's were on, and um, this, yeah, because we talked about the MK, didn't we? Um, yes, and uh, the MK event, so and it's like you say, it's four years, so. I'm hoping they're going to present me with like a gold gold watch or something. Yeah, know, yeah that'd be really yeah, really yeah, nice.
0: Yeah, a few of you guys will be up for that. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I might have to do a gold fund me to get over there. Um, right. So you know, all <laughs> donations accepted gratefully. But yeah, I'm really uh, the more I thought about it because we talked about it a week or two ago. I really really think I should go. So I'm going to really do my best to be there. I know Alan had mentioned it. And he's really as Alan would be, Alan's really keen on building me like a replica um you know bike that I used to ride uh, Andy Preston's pretty keen on going, and you know funnily enough, Dale, i was I was talking to Andy Ruffle last night on online, just briefly, you know, just oh, a couple cool. of little messages, so that was really nice, you know, and he he I just just flirted the idea with him, and he he mentioned that he he you know he'd like to go. So, I don't know if it's 100%, certainly, who knows, you know, but um, but that's definitely definitely a focus there and stuff like that, for sure, you know. Yeah, and, uh, no,
0: I hope I can uh, definitely, if they are doing something on top of all the stuff they already do yearly, then uh, I would definitely like to go as well, you know, and I think it'd be cool, yeah. because, like, say, 40 years of BMX, we're all getting older and we don't get to see each other too much anymore, so um, it'd be really cool. Uh, hopefully, Alan Woods is listening to this and Ruffle and... You know, those guys can I'm sure they're already thinking of stuff as well already, you know, potentially. So um yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, you know you know who I've got to mention if you don't if you don't mind. Can I just throw out a couple of names? Yeah, I was gonna, uh, just about to say, yeah, any names, shout outs or anything you wanna say or people can get hold of you, go for it.
1: Well well, yeah, yeah, I'm back on Facebook, so like if if you um if you you know, if you just Google my pardon or you know, Facebook my pardon then you can then you can touch base. And and the reason I went back on is because... I can keep in touch with, you know, with people again, of course, you know, so, um, so yeah, so contact me by that, but, but I just want to, you know, for some reason, why like, did you ever hear of a guy called Jason Long? Do you yes. remember Jason Long? Yeah, I raced Jason Lund, yeah, you remember? he raced yeah, for
0: right. Ray after you, maybe, right? He, he did, yeah, yeah, and he had a, you know, his brother, I don't think I met Nathan. Yeah, I know Nathan. Nathan, yeah, he was a good racer, yeah. right a talker, yeah.
1: So I just wanted to mention Jason, because... You know, I, I'm, I, you know, I had the, the, you know, you meet some some outliers in life, freaks of nature, if you like, and I, and I don't, I mean that in a nice way. I mean that in, you know, people who can literally do anything and they can do it amazing. So, Jason's one, like Jason. I was actually watching. A, I just, I just googled him last night, and and I, met, I did I meet Jason re- briefly. We might have been talking. He lives in Bali, or he did live in Bali. And He does a bit of skating, and he was a—he's you know—was a really good motocross rider. He was obviously a fantastic BMXer and a really good skater. And I met him when he was, or sort of, our paths crossed when he was skateboarding and stuff. And he was like phenomenal, you know, like like
0: a. I see so his pictures. Do, yeah, he's. You guys have definitely got the similar paths into how you kind of. Just naturally good at whatever you do. I raced Jason in '83, uh, '84. We was kind of coming up the ranks, and we were kind of the same kind of level, you know, third, fourth, fifth place in nationals in the same class. Um, and then his brother Nathan was a little bit younger. Um, Nathan was a you know a top three guy in his class as well. And Alan picked him up for Talker. And then Jason did exactly what you did. He went from Talker got into freestyle, and I think Jason probably, I don't know if he did anything before Rally, but I know he was on Rally, and if you look at those um, magazines or any footage from the mid eighties, um, yeah, Alan was absolutely, uh, uh, Jason was really uh, unbelievable bike rider, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and, and an unbelievable skateboarder. Like, he, he would do the new school stuff that, you know, as good as anything, and then progress from that, and then, so I was just watching a YouTube clip of him last night, and about a three-minute clip, and it just, yeah, just blew me away. I yeah, mean, he's right in the ice. I remember seeing rad, years
0: yeah. ago, um, and this is in the, uh, the NAS weekend. I went for a BMX race, a mountain bike race at NAS. I, I know that event still goes on in England, and this would have been mid-2000s, and he just showed up out of the blue. I don't think he'd rode a bike or anything in, in, in years, and I think he just hopped on Clive Gosling's uh, GT, and, yeah, he was doing flips by the end of the day, you know, and I think he'd just gone like a huge... Chunky years without riding a bike, you know. Just yeah, very gifted, um, just good at everything he does. You know, like saying I've seen all the skateboard footage, and I look like just as rad at that as well. You know.
1: Yeah, just I just always feel like sometimes those people don't get enough props, you know. And yeah, the other, you know, the, there's another another guy called Neil Hawkins that you you, you know. So so Neil was a, a South Sea local when I started skating there, and he was just gifted you know like like you know those people you've seen them and, and and you know there's people who you know get it through ship assistance and there's but there's just people who are just freaks and gifted and, and neil was that in skateboarding so if neil had put his mind to it, and i hope he gets to listen to this but neil would have been you know probably the best skateboarder the uk had because he was just he was just far and above what anyone could do, you know, like, but he just wouldn't even try. He'd just go, I'm going to try and learn a, you know, a frontside side 360 on a vert ramp, you know, at the top, three or four foot. And, and, and we'd all just be going, yeah, right. And he'd just go and do it, you know, and then, and then he wouldn't do it. So he'd just like lose the trick because he wouldn't do it, or he'd do something else. And we were like, man, if you put your mind to it, you know, and, and, um, and I just want to give a quick shout to, to, um, to Simon Tabron. I think I've met. Simon, but I just wanted to say hi, yeah, because I know we took the base, and, and to Jamie Bestwick, because Jamie did a real nice favour for me years ago. He, he got me a Monster Energy Pass, which was really nice at Jamie, because that was kind of like, you know, you know, getting a favour for being who we are, and, and just, you know, he got me a Monster Energy Pass, and I went to the most amazing experience. I went to the the Sepang GP, and Jamie had arranged for, for two passes. And, and I got in, you know, I had VIP access to watch the MotoGP and and, and um, wow. it was just, it was just a, an amazing experience. And I never really got to thank him, you know. And I know he's, he's had a really big accident, hasn't he? he? already had one a few years ago and was really um, knocked himself about. It, eh? I think he broke his back, didn't he, or something. And... Um, you know, I used to be in a little bit of contact with him, but, but I've sort of lost touch and I just wanted to say hi to Jamie and Yeah, um, I know Simon, for sure.
0: Thank you. A, Mike, Simon's a huge uh, Mike Pardon fan every time I <laughs> post something or write something. and I You know, when we post that interview of the day, all his comments and stuff. So, I think they definitely, uh, you know, they pay uh, to their roots, you know. I know Simon, coming from the same place as you up there in uh, Liverpool, Manchester, is, uh, yeah, I just know he's a, a huge fan. Um, Anyone else, Mike, any other, if somebody wants to, uh say, you're on Facebook? Um, yeah, you, just, yeah, I Instagram guess so. Anyway, just anyway. You, you disappeared from Instagram again, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, so, you, you know, the, I spat the dummy, didn't I? And um, I was like, oh, and then, you know, I remember I talked to you and I said, oh, I'm not using Facebook. Realize Instagram's owned by Facebook and all this. And it was just... You know what it was, right? In a, in a quick snapshot, it was just—it was just basically about all the data mining they do, and and, and you know they 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 then they suggest stuff to you, don't they? You know, it's part of the deal, isn't it? You know, uh, the, like
0: the minute you've got an uh, iPhone, they've got you, yeah, so you just got to give in.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you you just got to give in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and then I realised that I was cutting off me nose to spite my face, you know, like so basically. I was losing touch with people, you know, like right, like you know, yeah. for instance, you know, touch base with you and, yeah, and you touch base with Andy Yeah, Ruffle you and... really
0: are old school in that fact has like always oh, disappeared again. He's on Instagram now. He's on Facebook, <laughs> so hopefully uh, you'll stick around because you're missing some good. I think on, especially with the uh, you know the book page of the Rad Guys, uh, you know, um, uh, Facebook group that they're doing for the for the BMX book. I think it's super cool. You see so many. You know, daily. You know, uh, people posting old stuff. You know, a lot of and obviously you you you're in a lot of that stuff. So I think it's cool. I think it's cool to be around just to just see that Facebook page. You know. Well, did
1: you see that? Just just did you see that bit that um, I think Anthony's posted it and he, and it's on about the shoes you used to wear. Yeah, like that thread yeah, for
0: like two weeks, ain't it? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it great? And I was thinking. Yeah. So it started me thinking about what I used to wear.
1: Right? and I don't know about you, but my first my first BMX shoes before I could afford a pair of Vans were, um, I just had a pair of Adidas and they were fantastic. And I can't remember the name of them right, but they would have been the earlier Adidas shoes, you know, and then obviously it was the deal to get Vans, wasn't it? You know, like, yeah, like for most uh, people in BMX.
0: Adidas, well, we call it Adidas. Adidas kick were the things we had at school. So, um, yeah. See. But it's a super cool thread and, 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 and finishing it up, if any, you know, and, uh, we have a, a lot of old, uh, UK guys will probably be listening to this. And if you're not on Facebook or you are on Facebook and you don't know about this group, it's called uh, We Were Rad. Uh, it's um, uh, a submission group book. Uh, it's basically um, a bunch of guys, uh, Anthony and uh, Andrew Rigby, um, they're putting together a, a book of uh, history of uh, BMX in the UK. So they're just, you know, obviously wanting people to submit stuff. I think they've already said they're just overwhelmed with so much uh, good stuff. Uh, so good luck to him editing that. But anyway, it's a great group to uh, to, to join. There's no politics. There's no Trump talk or Hillary or, or Brexit. It's just real great British BMX history. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people are just posting a lot of great stuff. So I suggest everybody uh, that are into that stuff, you definitely should join that group. And uh, them guys are uh, really cool guys. And uh, I know they listen to the podcast, so shout out to them. Uh, Mike, it's been great talking. I'm sure we'll... Uh, We'll talk again at some point, maybe, like say, hopefully next year, um, if, if if there is some kind of big gathering on top of the rad weekend, it'd be great to sit down with so many of you guys and get some cool footage and uh, just just share all the the great stuff. A lot of people like to hear this stuff, you know, and it's always good to hear from guys like you that are kind of quiet and not out there every day on social media. So I know people will en- hopefully, uh, I know they will, they'll enjoy listening to this. So um, thanks for that.
1: No worries, Dale. Pleasure anytime, um, mate. Cheers, mate. All right, we'll speak soon. Take care.